Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. Today, we move on to chapter three of 99 Bottles by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. It's called Unearthing Concepts. We look at sections 3.1 to 3.6, discussing how to respond to new feature requests, the open-closed principle, code smells and how to use them to help with refactoring and flocking rules. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. How did you find this week's reading? I felt like this week's reading was pretty straightforward. It was it was really exciting. It felt like almost more of a teaser than anything else because I've been waiting for the moment when we talk about how Shameless Green is a good solution, but not changeable. And I've just been eagerly awaiting the day when we talk about well, what happens when we change it. And so we're finally here. I agree. I'm excited. Awesome. Okay. So let's start with three unearthing concepts and specifically 3.1, listening to change. And so this is this was a really nice section because it set the stage for the decision that we've made where we like Shameless Green because it works and it, it does what we need it to do, but there are times when it is good to change it and refactor it. And this gives us a couple of things to think about. And the way we look at that decision that we have to make is the, the difference between writing just enough code to solve the problem, but also the fact that programming is an art. And that we as programmers just love elegant code. We can't stay awake. And so this gives us this dilemma of, shall I make my code more beautiful or shall I just deliver this feature as is? Mm -hmm. And it also talks about the opportunity cost, which frankly, I hadn't really thought of before, but it says that when we decide to refactor now, even if we may not need to, that means that we can't do other things that might be more urgent or just, you know, give us more bang for our buck. And so there's always a cost when we decide to optimize prematurely. Uh, there's always a cost attached to that. And this to me was it was such great timing to read the section because for um, for Konubi, I was working yesterday on a feature where we're trying to automatically generate the rss feed mm -hmm. using our data that's already on the website and the first two times we did this we were creating the new rss feed portion by hand which you can imagine was very tedious and kind of dangerous because if you miss a tag then you're totally screwed and so i looked at that and i said ah oh, this is so inefficient i'm gonna write some code so <laughs> we can automate this so not duplicating all our efforts and so i was working on that last night and i got to a point where i had solved 90% of our pain points, but there was that 10% that I knew would just make it really cool and mm -hmm. really slick and, and really easy. And I, I, I must admit that I didn't fully hold back. I engaged a little bit, but maybe like 20 minutes into fiddling around with this thing, I thought to myself, huh, I'm doing a lot of work and taking time away from doing much more productive things when I've already solved most of my problems. This feels like a shameless green opportunity. <laughs> let me just stop here and, you know, the code's not going to change. It's very simple. And let me just move on. Great. Well done, Sarol, on getting there by yourself. Thank you, thank you. If I'd known mm -hmm. this was going on, I would have put a stop to this much. <laughs> I, like, I like where it says here that there's no need to ever really speculate. You can just wait until you get that new mm -hmm. requirement. And that tells you exactly how the code should change. And so rather than saying, oh, but, you know, 
if I did this, then that would make it easier later. Or, oh, if I did that, you know, then when that new feature comes along, which I know it is, then it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You might mm-hmm. as well just wait up until that point and then you and and then you you bear the cost of okay, you might have to rearrange the code, but at least you don't waste time making optimizations that you don't need to. Yes. And I also like that it talks about how when we get to a point where we have a new requirement, we have that new feature, and we're thinking about our code differently and we change it, we are raising the bar. And I like that that picture because it concedes the fact that Shameless Green isn't the world's most beautiful, most, you know, optimized. It's, it's not the best code that we could write in terms of, you know, elegance or just, you know, change it. But for a lot of different ways, it's not the, the necessarily the prettiest code. And we know that when the time comes, we might need to raise the bar, raise the standards and do something better. And now we are at the bar raising moment. Saran. Yes. I'm sorry. Um, I hope you're not too busy. I have a feature request. Oh my goodness, what is it? You know that 99 Bottles code you wrote for me last week? Yes, it was amazing. It was great. However, you know, it says six bottles at certain points. And that's just really kind of awkward because we all know that's a six pack. So in each place where you're outputting six bottles, can you just make it one six pack instead? Okay, so are you saying that every time we have a multiple of six that I should change that to say six pack? No, 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 no. No, no. no. Okay. Just where it says six bottles, make it one six pack. We're just 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 that's all we need. Just just that one time. Just that Are you sure? Hey, I'm the product manager here. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> if we need anything else later, I'll let you know. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll hold back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I can do that for you. How are you going to do it? <sighs> well, first I'm going to read this book online. I'm bottles of OOP. <laughs> you mean it's not your own work? <laughs> and so that is the feature request that we are going to figure out how to fit into our code. And this to me, when I first read this and how we're going to replace six bottles with, um, <laughs> with just calling it a six pack, instinctively I said, oh, okay, so every six we're going to so change you did it. Do and that. <laughs> that, that's really what I did in my head when I read that. And immediately the next sentence is, this does not mean that every six we're going to change it. We're only going to change the one time it says six bottles. That's where we're going to change. And so, you know, again, we're exercising restraint. We're exercising our impulse to optimize prematurely. And we're going to walk through step by step exactly how we can do this. And the ultimate rule that we have to remember as we go through this is we're writing the minimum necessary code to get the job done. Yes. So if we look at the verse method in our shameless screen solution, we see that we have a pretty straightforward case statement. And it says when that number we passed into verse is zero, do this. When it's one, do this. When it's two. So that's basically the way that we've been doing it. And so in that case statement, we originally had four branches. But if we add a new conditional that takes care of this six-pack situation, what is interesting is that we don't have to add just one more conditional. We actually have to add mm-hmm. two more conditionals, which I didn't catch until I saw it. I, I read it and I thought, nah, and then I looked at the code and I said, oh, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Because when the number we pass in is six, we say one six-pack of beer on the wall, one six-pack of beer. 
But then when we pass in seven, we have to say, take one down and pass it around one six pack of beer on the wall. So there's actually two opportunities to replace six bottles of beer with six pack. I didn't get that either. So I remember seeing that and going, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That was really interesting. However, we all know that conditionals are the bane of object-oriented programming, as Sandy yes. and Katrina remind us in this book. And I, I, when I read the sentence, it's a very simple sentence, but it made me laugh because I know how much Sandy hates conditionals. Mm-hmm. And I thought of her talk that she did, I think a couple of years ago at RailsConf called All the Little Things. And it's where she mm-hmm. takes this huge, horrible conditional and converts it into objects. And it's absolutely beautiful. But yeah, I really mm-hmm. recommend that talk. And so this is the thing that surprised me. And I'm interested to hear what your reaction was when you read this part too. Sandy and Katrina say here that we've taken our four branches and it's ballooned to six and that this is quote unquote unacceptable. And I thought that was really interesting because I guess in my mind, having two more conditionals, yes, it's, it's, it's gross. I'm not excited about that solution, but it, it didn't, it didn't feel that different than what we already had. And I was I was very surprised at the tone of just kind of repulsion from this book. You know, the next line reads, conditionals breed. And now that this one has started reproducing, you must do something to stop it. And I was very surprised at just the, the tone of that, considering the fact that our optimal solution was a conditional. I, I did highlight the bit that said conditionals breed and now this one has started reproducing, thinking it was very, very emotive. But I guess it's, you know, you say going from four to six, it's not that much, but that's a 50% growth (laughs) of the conditional. So it's like, it's grown by quite a significant proportion. And it's the, well, what happens if the next feature request comes along? Are we going to add two more? So every time a new thing comes along, before you know it, at a 50% growth rate, it'll be huge. And so let's let's stop this early. And I guess it's this idea that conditionals are already bad. So the fact that we have a four, a four branch one coming out of Shameless Green is bad enough, but it was acceptable then. Now we're into this, this new territory with feature requests. And so the code standard has to be much higher. And so there's literally no, no room for, you know, being lenient mm-hmm. on this. We have to be tight on it because otherwise it's the four to six, that's fine. Six to eight, that's fine. Before you know it, it gets to 12 and, and it's really, really, really not fine, but you've got a lot to deal with to, in order to get that into nice objects. But I guess you can make the same statement for the four conditionals, too, because when we're looking at the shameless screen, immediately I thought, well, where is this going to go? You know, we can have we can have conditionals all over the place. So I think that feeling is still there, even without this new addition. I'm wondering if it has to do with the fact that this is a change to an existing code. So in other words, if we had our initial set of requirements and it said, print the you know the full nine nine bottles of beer song and when we get to six bottles we have to include a six pack if that was kind of all bundled into the first set of requests i wonder if we would be more okay with this conditional versus now where we have something that exists and now we're making a change to it I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think you're right because the first step is always shameless green. So we'd be trying to get there and you might come up with something like this. However, if you're coming up with something like this, you might say, huh, that problem scope is pretty big. Maybe we should just start with the song first. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But yeah, I definitely think the main thing here is the the state of development that you're in. So are you in the first? Need to get something down, like sketch out the whole problem, shameless screen, or are we now mm-hmm. okay? We're in a feature development flow, so we really need to be tight on this stuff before it gets out of hand. Yes. And so in 3.2, starting with the open-close principle, we dig a little bit into the decision of whether to refactor or whether to not refactor. And one of the things we have to consider is whether our code is already open to the new requirement or whether it is closed. Yes. And so this open-closed thing comes from the SOLID acronym, for which Sandy and Katrina have a very helpful sidebar, which they stole from me. How dare they? (laughs) Definitely stole it. So just quickly running over the sidebar, it's all about the SOLID acronym coined by Michael Feathers and made more popular by Robert Martin or Uncle Bob Martin, as he's more well known by. And so each letter is a principle that we try and strive for in OO design. So we have S for single responsibility where the methods in a class have to all gather around a single purpose. And I know that people do tend to have discussions around what exactly constitutes a single purpose. Mm-hmm. Then we've got O for open-closed, which we're going to dig into in more detail after this. Then we've got L for list cost substitution. So this idea that subclasses should be substitutable for their superclasses. So essentially inheritance done right. If you've done it correctly, then you can take out a subclass, replace it with its superclass, which does still work. There's I for interface segregation. So any object shouldn't have to depend on a method which it doesn't use. And then there's dependency inversion where you just want to make sure that you're only depending on abstractions and not concretions. So I think we're gonna go into some of those in more detail later on in the book, but for now we're gonna focus on open-closed. Mm-hmm. And so the open-closed, as you said, is open for extension and closed for modification. One of the first things we don't want to do is we don't want to conflate the process of moving code around with the act of adding new features. And so we want to make sure that we are refactoring first and then once we've gotten things into a a neater, more organized place and specifically in a place where you can easily extend and add features, that's the point we actually want to add new code. Yes. So in the case of this new feature requirement, we're not currently open to the six-packs requirement because we need to change our conditional. And mm-hmm. I love this little flowchart that Sandy and Katrina have provided us with so that we know how to use the open-close principle when we are doing our development. And so when faced with a new feature requirement, we need to ask ourselves, is the code open? If yes, then make the change nice and easy. If it's not, do you know how to make it open? If yes, make it open and then make the change. And if you don't know how to make it open, then remove the easiest to fix or the best understood code smell. So that's figure 3.1 in the book, The Open Close Flowchart. And of course, mm-hmm. reading this, you know that most of the time you're answering no to is it open and no, do you know how to make it open? Yes. Meaning that we need to learn how to identify code smells mm-hmm. and then fix them. Yep. And with that, we're now on 3.3, Recognizing Code Smells. So Sandy and Katrina recommend a couple of books to look into for learning how to recognize code smells. 
One of them is the refactoring book by Martin Fowler. Now, this is the the key text on it. And it is written in Java. And so there is another version by Jay Fields, which is written in Ruby. And again, that's very highly regarded. And I've had people recommending both books to me ever since I started doing Ruby a few years ago. So they're on my list. Uh, maybe one to look into later, Saron. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually, funnily enough, I actually think another good way to get into Cosmos is the talk that Sandy gave recently at RailsConf this year called Get a Whiff of This. And that was mm-hmm. all an introduction to, hey, here are all the code smells. And, and Sandy steps through a couple of a couple of refactorings, identifying code smells and then showing how you fix them. So I actually think that's a really good 40 minute introduction to the topic. Nice. And so when I read this, I thought, this is great. There's a bunch of smells that we can maybe pick from, but how do I know which one this is and how do I identify them? And San and Katrina say that one of the easiest ways to find out what smell you're dealing with is to make a list of things that you just don't like about your code, which is something that I think we can both probably do. Yes. And I think you had something you really didn't like about this code. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I didn't like all of the duplication. That just drove me. And it's, it's always just bothered me to death. Um, all the duplication and all the the branches that don't that don't necessarily go with the importance of the verse numbers. And lo and behold, no wonder you're so excited by this reading, Zoran. We're finally <laughs> going to deal with it. Yes. And so in 3.4, identifying the best point of attack, we look at a couple different smells. Uh, and one of them is the switch statement smell which is basically saying that there's lots of, that, that, that a case statement even exists, that that is a code smell, and that each of those branches specifically have a lot of duplicated code. So now we're talking about the duplicated code smell. So both those issues, the two things that have been bothering me, we're going to finally talk about them. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a big day. Um, the first thing that we're going to go to do is get rid of the duplication in the verse method. And I think there's an, a really interesting point that Sandy and Katrina make at the end of section 3.4. And that's that there is no direct connection between removing the duplication and succeeding in making the code open to the six pack requirement. And it's this idea that when you're approaching this technique of taking the next easiest to fix code smell, you don't quite know when you're going to get there, but you've got to have faith that you will eventually get there. And that's like the magic Mm -hmm. in this technique. Yes, and that to me was was really great to hear because one of the things I was thinking is, you know, I'm definitely going to be happier if we don't use switch statements and we don't duplicate, but how exactly does that get us to six pack? And here we're admitting that we don't know that it is, but we're going to trust the process and just keep going. Wonderful. Shall we go into section 3.5? Mm-hmm. So 3.5 is called refactoring systematically. And we start with a formal definition of refactoring. I tried to think to myself, oh, if someone asked me for a formal definition, what would I say? And I think I did an okay job. But um, the one given to us here by Martin Fowler is, refactoring is the process of changing a software system in such a way that it does not alter the external behavior of the code, yet improves its internal structure. Mm, I like that. Right. Very, if you think about it that way, it's like, aha, so I'm not changing the behavior of the code, but inside it's going to look better. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Now, there's one thing that we need before we can safely refactor. So before you leave the house and you want to safely refactor, what must you have? <laughs> you must have tests and ideally passing tests. Yeah, ideally passing tests or you kind of need to fix those tests first. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a systematic way to look at it, which is, so if you start changing the code, then one of, t- and the tests begin to fail, then one of two things must have happened. Either you've broken the code or the tests that you have are flawed. They're not very useful tests. Mm-hmm. So if you've broken the code, then fix the code. Mm. But if it's the case <laughs> that you realize that, wait a minute, the code is still behaving in the same way, I'm getting the output that I want, then perhaps your tests are broken. So if we think back to earlier in the book, when we we had broken the code such that um, the ver- the song method still gave you what you wanted, but the verse method didn't, we might have random tests breaking. And it's in that case where you need to go back to your tests and go, aha, they are weirdly tied to the implementation or things like that, and mm-hmm. then make them more mm-hmm. useful. Yes. And specifically, it says that successful refactorings lean on green. So we really got to make sure we have good tests, passing tests, so that we can safely refactor. And so now we get to the fun part, 3.6, following the flocking rules. And so here we talk about these set of rules that I'm very excited by called the flocking rules, basically saying that we can refactor by following a small set of really, really simple rules. And the idea is to change things one at a time, to take it step by step and trust that we will be able to refactor successfully. And so the three rules are number one, select the things that are most alike. Number two, find the smallest difference between them. And number three, make the simplest change that will remove that difference. And there's a bit where Sandy and Kushina say, if you use these rules and find the abstraction, then the four-branch case statement can be reduced to a single line of code. And I was like, wow, how? That is beautiful. Can't wait to see it. That's very exciting. So there's a bit here that I got confused by, and I want to see what you make of it. So it says that changes to code can be subdivided into four steps. One is mm-hmm. parse the new code. Two is parse and execute it. Three is parse, execute, and use its result. And four is delete unused code. And I think, actually, my original note by this was, huh? Because I read that and I didn't <laughs> get it. But I think just reading it now, I think I get it now. And it's basically saying you're doing one of those four things at any given time. I think so. Yeah. That would be the only way it would make sense. Because initially I was reading it as a four-step plan and I was like, this makes no sense. We've parsed the code. Right. Why are we now parsing and executing the code? And now we're parsing yeah. and executing and using the result. But I think just reading it to you now, <laughs> I've realized that they're saying you're either doing one of these four things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly. Do you want to tell us a bit more about why they're called flocking rules? <laughs> yeah, when I heard that, it it's funny because when I think about flocking, I think of kind of all gathering slightly uncomfortably around a thing and making it nervous. So that was, that is not, you know what I mean? Like like making it nervous. Kind of like ambushing. Like I was thinking of ambushing something, Um, but that's not what Sandy and Katrina are talking about. Uh, They call it flocking rules because when you think about a flock of geese, is that, is that right? Or is it a gang of geese? I swear geese have a really cool one. I, think, I feel like they're one of the cool ones. Okay, when you think of a flock of birds, is that a thing? Yeah, birds flock. Okay, birds flock. Okay, 
So birds flock. <laughs> this is a podcast episode about animals. Uh, so birds flock. And if you look at the way they the way they fly in the sky, oh geez, Christ, I don't know how birds work. Uh, how they fly in the sky, it looks like everything is super synchronized, and I mean, it really is incredible when you watch birds and how they move. And there's a, a big cloud of birds, and they're all moving very, very synchronously, and it's really beautiful. And it's so put together that it looks like there's one central place where the decisions are being made, but it's actually not. It's actually each individual bird making a series of super, super small, really definitive, really important decisions. And when they do that together, they end up creating this illusion that everything is kind of moving as one. And so they follow three simple rules. One, alignment, which is basically steering in the same direction. Uh, two, separation, making sure you're not too close together, otherwise you'll just crash. And then three, cohesion, steering towards the average position of the flock. And so similar to that, we are going to create this complex behavior, this thing that takes our case statement down to one line, which is still mind-blowing. But we're going to do that by having a series of really small, purposeful, repeated steps and following very simple rules to get there. Wonderful. And I'd just like to end with... A little Nadia sidebar. Uh-oh, let's do it. This is not to do with code. Okay. <laughs> this, is to, Go for it. this is to do with the collective nouns for geese. There are many, and I just want to run through a couple. Really? So if we're talking okay, about yeah. geese in the general, it's a flock. If we're talking okay. about geese on the ground, then they are a gaggle, a herd, a gaggle. or a corpse of geese. A corpse? Yes. A corpse as in That's C-O-R-P-S. Uh, okay okay okay. No got, e. it, got it got it yeah. that's better that's better and finally if we're talking about geese in flight then it's a skein or skine it's like s-k-e-i-n what just that's just so thought weird. our listeners should know this yes this is very crucial to understanding ruby this is great and so yeah that is the end of the flocking rules and so next week we're going to talk about how to take these very simple rules and how we can use them to refactor and make beautiful code and move away from shameless green into something that is hopefully a little bit nicer, a little bit cooler. And so uh, really excited to dig into that. Yes, me too. <laughs> so in this episode, we talked about duplicated code and switch statements. And we want to know what's a code smell that you've come across. Tweet us your responses at Ruby Book Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio.